Hello, and welcome back to the Weekwell Unfiltered podcast, which is proudly supported by the Wall Street Journal Barron's Group. My name is Katie Litchfield, and three years ago, I left my job of 18 years because I had had enough of standing by and watching women getting passed up for those top corporate executive committee roles. Now, Weekwell is on a mission to build a better business world. Over the course of this series, I have been talking to present and past CEOs of some of the world's largest organisations, asking them the questions they don't normally get asked about gender diversity. And you can listen back to earlier episodes wherever you pick up your podcasts. In the last episode, I spoke with Dame Inga Beale, the first woman to become CEO of Lloyds of London. I'm flabbergasted by the number of excuses I hear. They aren't there, there's no women. They are there. You've just not got your right networks and the right people behind it. And perhaps you haven't got the right appeal as your organization. You can do this, you've just got to to work at it and make sure that it's embedded in the entire culture of the organization, the DNA. Next in the series is Ralph Finlay, the outgoing CEO of Marston's Brewery, which despite running a number of public houses during lockdown, has overseen a successful period since the pandemic struck. In that time, not only has Ralph struck a deal with the global giant Carlsberg, but also achieved 50-50 gender split on his FTSE executive leadership team. A team, I hasten to add, that includes a Weekwell member. Ralph, welcome to Weekwell Unfiltered. So how has your year been? The truth is, I think it's been a really difficult year. Obviously, Marston's is a, is a pub business and we've been brewing as well. So um, it's, been, it's been incredibly difficult. We've got uh, you know, a, a lot going on in terms of managing stakeholders and government, employees, suppliers of finance, all of that kind of thing. And into that mix, we also had a number of big M&A deals on the go. We did a, a joint venture with Carlsberg last year, £780 million uh, joint venture for the Carlsberg Masters Beer Company. And at the end of the year, we bought the Brains Pub Operations in December 2020. So both busy and very difficult at the same time. Personally, what has been your biggest challenge, would you say? By some margin, I think the fact that we have 14,000 employees in the business, or, or, or we had around that number for most of last year, 97% of those people uh, were furloughed. So engagement for them, making sure they still feel part of the business, uh, trying to do as much as we could on mental health programs, personal worries as well about lockdown and the impact on family like everyone else has had. Um, those are the kind of things that have really been most challenging for me. And what kind of impact did it have on you? Because that's quite a big challenge. Yes. I mean, I, I think the key thing, though, uh, Katie, is, is, is actually having a good team uh, because that, that team over the, over the course of the year, we all have our ups and downs and just helping each other through it has been really, really important. Looking back now over your whole life, not just at work, have there been any women who've inspired you? And if so, how did they inspire you? Uh, well, yes, of course, there have been. And, and certainly in my family. Uh, and then again, at senior school, I went to a comprehensive school that up until the year I went there had actually been a private school for girls. So we boys were in a, were in a very, very significant minority 
Um, but it, but if I look if I look uh, at, at career and after that as well, two specific women stand out. I think I was fortunate to meet Madeleine Albright, the U.S. Secretary of State from 1997 to 2001. Latterly, that was under uh, Bill Clinton. And uh, Madeleine Albright was a Czech immigrant. She gained a PhD. She was involved in global politics at the highest level, but she was a really, really informed politician. Uh, she had many, many leadership roles in politics and business. She was chair of the Council of Women World Leaders. And by the time I met her, she was by then in her 80s. But her views on global events were just really, really worth listening to. And she's also a grounded human being. And the, the second I would just mention is an author, a lady called Edith Eager, who wrote a book called The Choice about her experiences in the concentration camps in Germany and her life afterwards as an American immigrant. Now, given the subject matter, that's harrowing reading, but it's important. And the key message is that whatever happens to us, we have a choice about how we respond to those things. And it's, it's truly remarkable reading. You stepped down in September. What do you want your legacy to be? I don't really know if I'm into legacies. Um, I mean, businesses have got to look forward, not backwards. And, and, I, and when I look at, at Marston's, I think our achievements aren't, aren't just down to me. They reflect what many of us have contributed. I hope, I hope that Marston's retains its strong culture. We have 14,000 employees. We're a public company, but it feels like a family. And it's, it's a very strong culture. Uh, we certainly moved the business on during my 20 years at, at, at Marston's uh, as CEO. And the company today is a million miles away from the company I, I joined. So I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, what do you think makes a great leader? Well, there's a question. I guess that millions of words have been written about that. And, and there are many types of leader and there are many types of businesses and organisations. So I can really only tell you about the kind of leader I hope to be in, in, in the kind of business I work in, which has been pubs and brewing. I think, I think you have to be prepared to take full responsibility for things. The buck always does stop at the top. Uh, I think you have to be able to take risks. Uh, if you don't do that, you're not going to make progress. I think you probably need to acknowledge that success that you get is probably not down to your own genius and inspirational leadership. Uh, it actually comes from having a great team of people, each of them doing the things that they're best at, from strategy delivery or support services or whatever it is. And, and you need to take difficult decisions. And sometimes you're the only person that, uh, that can take those and, and, and make them happen. But if you do, you know, for me, always at the same time, be aware of the human consequences of the decisions that you're taking. I think that is important. And you know, having, I'm able to acknowledge the, the fact that you have got failings and where they might be. Um, Robert Burns had a very perceptive line on this, I think. He said, uh, oh, to see ourselves as others see us. It's very difficult. But if you can, if you can try and do that, I think it helps a lot. What one thing could be a game changer, do you think, when it comes to persuading CEOs to back talented women for C-suite positions? What a great question. I wish there were one game changer. Uh, and I don't know if there is. And, and maybe that's, I'm a bit blind on that point, because for me, why do you need persuading to appoint 
talented individuals to to an executive appointment. Why why do you need why do you need some guidance to do that? I do think that if I'm looking for one thing, non-exec directors or independent directors have a huge role to play. Having a board which pays attention to people development, to training, to skill matrices, talent recognition throughout the organization, I think that influences a CEO. I've seen it happen, and where, where it does, the results can be remarkable. And many of our Weekwell finalists want me to ask your advice about how best to become a member of the leadership team. What advice would you give them? Well, the first important thing is to share that ambition. I think, you know, obviously there's a balance to be struck in how you go about doing that. But if your company is giving you good feedback and if you're working hard, and you're doing good things and you think you're capable of more and the company thinks you're capable of more, they need to know that you've got the desire for it. And if they don't listen, they run the risk of losing you. So it's really important that. I think it's also important to ask your employer where they think you can make progress in developing yourself. So get that guidance. I guess in some specialist areas, you get there by technical mastery, knowing your brief inside out. I think in more, in more general management, one reason often given for it, for it not happening is that people haven't shown a willingness to get out of their comfort, comfort zone. So they might be good in a role, but they haven't shown an interest in the wider business objectives, willingness to take on new things, which might even be difficult or quite challenging. If you look at people who are there, who have got to the top, often they will have taken some risk that got them noticed, which shows an aptitude for what you really require is required as a leader. You know, it can be quite hard, but if getting to the top was, e was easy, we'd all be at the top. So taking those hard choices, I think, I think is good. One final point I think worth thinking about is it's good to do things outside your current employer. So I've encouraged people to get on other boards, uh, either in a NED capacity. It doesn't have to be business. It could be education. It could be the local theater or a local business network. It just gives you a bit more insight into how things work. Do you manage women executives in a different way to the men? No, I don't. I, I try to treat people as individuals. So I guess I relate to everyone, everyone somewhat differently, I suppose. And as people, we all bring different attributes. So different skills, different weaknesses. Our interests differ, our motivations differ, our abilities differ. So all of those things have got nothing to do with gender. So that's how I try and do it is, is on how people are. At Weekwell, we're thrilled uh, that one of the finalists from the first ever Weekwell Awards in 2019, uh, Sharon Singh, became a member of your Exco, and now you have gender equality split at Exco level. How did you achieve that? The main board at Masters, the PLC board, is 50-50 on, on a gender basis, and Sharon is a is a great example of that. So her appointment as an operations director on the exec board. It reflected her contribution, her potential. And the same is true of other women in our ex ex exec team. So I would say I didn't achieve that. Uh, they did. That's, that's down to them. The only thing I, I do and the only thing I've done is to take a risk on people. I think, you know, today applicants for C applications for senior roles are really, really heavily assessed. They're evaluated very thoroughly, obviously quite rightly. But sometimes you just have to take a risk on somebody if you're trying to do something. 
And there's something for me about people responding when they've got responsibility sort of put on their shoulders. And then I've taken that risk with a number of key people and really it's worked out, it's worked out very well. What challenges, if any, or obstacles did you have to overcome to getting that balance? Katie, the, hard, the hardest thing uh, for me has been just the time it, it, it takes. Uh, people like targets and they, they also they like to see progress uh, happen quickly. And I do understand that, but some things I think just do take time. So for me, um, diversity in the exec team and below that is just as important as it is at the PLC level. But it, it, it can be just harder work. So, for example, I like making internal appointments, not exclusively, but, but, but to a significant extent, extent. And that means to get diversity at the top of the company, you have to work to get it through the rest of the company. You have to have faith that you're sort of getting this, this right eventually because the results might not immediately be apparent. So Sharon Singh, as you say, who was a, a winner of the Weekwell Award, she's a, a case in point, really. She, she first joined us in 2005. Um, she was working outside Marston's. She has worked outside Marston's as well, but she knows our culture. She knows our business inside out. That kind of development doesn't happen overnight, so, <clears throat> so it's time take, taken. I think I'm lucky, though, really, when I look at this, that I've never really been concerned about what sort of school somebody went to or their accent or what they look like. Those kind of things aren't really interesting to me. I, I, it works both ways. I actually don't care whether someone went to the local state school or Eton. I'm just not particularly interested in that. All I want to know is are they the right person for this job at Marston's? So those are, those are I think, some of the difficulties that I've, I've, I've tried to face, face up to. And what difference has gender equality at the top made to the decision-making process, can you see? Well, I think this comes back to the point about diversity uh, making for better decisions. G gender diversity is obviously a very big part of that, but it also includes diverse, diversity of thought, of behaviours, of age, all sorts of things. The risk, if you don't do this, I think, is that a board can have a monoculture, if that's the right word, because everybody around the table has the same view. And I don't think that's good for any organization. Um, it's quite a hard question, this, for me to answer, because I, I, don't, I don't think of the people around the table as somehow separated by gender. We're just people and we're different people. Um, but, I, but I think if we get that diversity point right, yes, we will make better decisions. Ralph, I wanted to dial a little deeper into the specifics of your C-suite. For example, what percentage are the women on your C-suite in the power roles rather than simply more functional roles? Well, that depends on what you mean by uh, power roles, I guess. But I think, I think I understand the point you're getting at. What I would say is that in a business like Marson's anyway, um, marketing, food development, menu development, digital insight, those are all power roles. Those are crucial roles for our organization. So across our business, I would say that we're about evenly split, split between power roles that drive the business forward and the support roles, the specialist roles, equally important but slightly different roles. Why was getting 50-50 uh, gender equality important to you? What matters to me is that people who want to get on have got the opportunity to do that. That is, you know, a, a kind of fundamental belief that I have. And I genuinely believe that if you get equality of opportunity right and it's properly 
and carefully handled, you will get equal representation or thereabouts. That will be the output. It's a vital core principle of the organization that whoever you are, you have equal opportunity. As I say, get that right and the rest of it becomes an output. It's often said that once you get a 50-50 split in, at the top, then automatically the rest of the company begins to become more diverse. Have you had any evidence of this so far? I guess that may, may well be the case. I, I have taken a, a slightly different view, and, and that, that view is that we have to pay at least as much attention to the roots of the organisation because those people starting out at the junior levels they're going to be the future. They're going to be the future of diversity on our exco, on our boards. So we, we do have to get that right. So what I hope we get right or try to get right is to come at it a bit from both ends. So bring in talent, make sure we get it at the top, but also keep a very, very careful watch on what's going on through the rest of the organisation because that's the future. What advice would you give other companies as they seek to achieve the same level of gender equality? Well, I'd say take it seriously, uh, monitor it, measure it, plan for it, because if you don't do that, nothing really happens. Don't do it because you think you've got to tick boxes or because of some reason like that. Do it because it works. Do it because it works in the long run and your business will be a more effective business and it'll also be a better place to work, I believe. So it is, it is a case of, first of all, recognising where you are and then planning a route forward from that point. But you do have to believe in what you're doing. Now you've achieved 50-50 gender split, what's the next DEI target for Marston's? We really need to make progress on uh, ethnic representation on boards and committees. Uh, we at Marston's have made progress, but not enough. And I think the reasons for that aren't actually that well understood. And if you don't really, and I think that point is true, is true generally, if you don't really understand why something is the case, it's difficult to get the right actions in place to deal with it. And I'm not sure we're, we're at that point at the moment, but I, I think that is the next, the next big target that we need to be looking at. How do you continue to develop women and attract uh, more women in businesses that are deemed as heavily male-dominated? I think that often the reasons for some sort of some sectors being male-dominated are, are historical. Uh, and brewing is quite a good example of that. I'm also a director at Vistry, the house builder. Uh, we've seen a big increase there in women being promoted into senior positions, including site managers in what historically was a really uh, very male-dominated sector. But I, and there are some areas where, where it's even more challenging. So, for example, if you've got, we, we have, you know, a beer delivery business where you're driving long distances, you've got to move heavy containers around. But even if you take that kind of business, there are many women who aren't deterred by that. So make sure that you are, you're not blinkered in your recruitment process. It says, you know, welcome applicants from whatever background they come from. And in time, those numbers those numbers will will even up. I think you perhaps just work, have to work a bit harder to do it. Reputations of employers, reputations of the company are important. People can learn a lot about how a company behaves through things like Glassdoor, social media. So monitor that kind of stuff. Make sure your profile reflects what you're doing as an organization so you get the, the message out there. But uh, those are some of the things I think you need to be doing. 
How do you feel the industry has evolved around the approach to women leaders as historically the brewing industry has been perceived as kind of old fashioned? Uh, well, it was old fashioned, but it, I can tell you it has moved on massively. Uh, that has been helped by the growth in uh, craft beers in the UK. So brewing now is seen much as, as much about um, trends to do with taste, provenance, authenticity. It's a much more dynamic environment to be in. It's very much like the food or wine sectors. So I think, I think that's helped. And uh, we've certainly seen that at Marston's. And, and we've had several women in senior roles, including director of brewing. So we, our director of brewing at uh, Marston's Brewery in Bur Burton is Emma Gilliland, who is one of the UK's most senior brewers. So, so it definitely can be done. And I don't, I don't think brewing is anything like as male-dominated as it used to be. The pandemic has been a major challenge for gender equality. Furlough has been a major factor. As we return to normal, what needs to be done to ensure you don't lose talented women capable of being future leaders? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very, very important point right now. And I, I think being aware of where the talent is, is, is critical. And then making sure that you're fully engaged with people as much as you can, just getting across the point that they are valued. So the role of communication in the last year, 15 months has just been elevated uh, hugely. So um, we've done a lot of communication in our organization. I'm sure pretty much every organization has, but I've done Teams calls with thousands of people um, on the line. And, 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 and the sole purpose of that really is to make sure that people still feel connected, they feel valued, even though they might be on, on furlough. And as I said earlier, in our case, that's been 97% of people. But what it meant was by keeping in touch, they still felt that connection to the company. And by the time we came to call, call them back, people were ready to come back and, and still you know, engage with, uh, with, with the company. So I hope that stands us in, in good stead and, and helps us to keep, keep the talent within Marston's that, that is going to represent our future. Diversity, uh, equality and inclusion seems to be very much at the forefront of Marston's thinking. And as CEO since 2001, is it fair to say it's been at the forefront of your thinking too? Where are we now compared to back in 2001? We're a hugely different place, I think, for all sorts of for all sorts of reasons. Um, I mean, I, I have always been in this with this view that this equality of opportunity was important, but I've made the point that it takes it takes time not just to change that in terms of um, the numbers of people in positions, but also in terms of attitudes. And everybody who works in masters will tell me. Um, it's a it's a very different place, and I, I tried in preparing for this <coughs> this interview to talk to one of our one or two of our senior senior women and say just you know if you look at where we are now what 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 would you say what would you say about it how do, how does it feel to you and the, and the consistent feedback I get is well to be honest it, it here it is just isn't an issue and and I, that's probably as good a thing as I could say about it. What role should men play in changing the gender equity dynamic, do you think? I think an equal role. I think it's, you know, we all have a responsibility, uh, whoever we are. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't think that's down to uh, just women or just men. I think it's a responsibility of all of us.
Past year has been challenging, particularly for the hospitality sector. What state is Marston's in compared to the company that entered lockdown in March last year? Good. We're in a good, good, good position. All things considered, I mean, we've been closed for nearly a year. So, But the shape of the business, doing that joint venture with Carlsberg made a massive difference. We've spent the time, I hope, wisely putting together our plan for reopening to make sure we're looking after our customers as well as we can. And we're all, you know, really excited to be open again and really very excited to be uh, opening properly again on the 21st of June when cross fingers restrictions get lifted. If you could only give your successor one piece of advice, what would it be? A good question. And, and I, 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 I think... Uh, if looking back, I think the one thing that strikes me is um, you you take decisions and, and sometimes you don't necessarily always take the right decisions and you don't know till later whether you took the right ones or not. What I will say is sometimes there was just a little voice, you can call it a conscience or whatever it was, who said, if you do this, this might not turn out in the right way. Just that tiny voice of conscience. And I would say, listen to that voice because usually it's right. Thank you very much for your time, Ralph, and good luck in whatever you decide to do after Marston's. Katie, I've enjoyed it. I'm Katie Litchfield, and you have been listening to Weekwell Unfiltered, CEO's Uncut series, proudly supported by the Wall Street Journal Barons Group. This series is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Up next is Colette Delaney, who is the first ever female CEO of First Caribbean Bank. It's really, you know, quite the challenge. And then, you know, we're thinking we're working our way around that, we're getting out of it. And then, you know, come April, beginning of April this year, we had a volcano erupt in St. Vincent, which caused huge issues, obviously, for the team in St. Vincent. And thank goodness, none of them actually lived in the red area. Uh, but surprisingly for us, you know, Barbados was covered by a dark cloud for two days and which deposited a whole pile of ash all over Barbados, which meant that you know, we had to postpone our return to the office and then, you know, we were sweeping up. Weekwell works with the world's largest companies with the aim of achieving complete gender equality, starting with 50-50 gender parity at executive committee level. You can learn more at weekwell.com. Weekwell Unfiltered was written and produced by Katie Litchfield and Sean Smith.